The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. Yeah, I I saw how companies can really have an impact. You know, there's there's nothing against the company giving a a cause money, right? That helps. But what really helps is when the company finds a cause that it can align with because maybe all of its employers are, or all of its employees are trained in a certain skill that could benefit the charity right. or there's a, a common backstory that exists that uh, that's fun to talk about and a reason that, that the two organizations should work together you know to give you two examples yeah. uh, that I that I worked on at Simon's Heart one was with the Philadelphia Flyers uh, in hockey there's a period called sudden death overtime right. and uh, and so we partnered with the Flyers for three seasons and every time the Flyers would um, would go into sudden death overtime, we would donate an automated external defibrillator to a local school or youth facility. Nice. And so that's a great way to tap into a fan base that only understands sudden death in terms of hockey, hockey vernacular right. sure. uh, and bring awareness to, to the number one cause of death of student athletes. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, a good idea. And then another example, which uh, we, we're, we just launched for our second year is right. a, a partnership with Scrub Daddy, uh-huh. where uh, in the guy February, on Shark Tank with the little we have one exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> so for the second year, they are manufacturing a heart shaped sponge for February nice. Heart Month, right? And uh, Simon's Heart will get the proceeds. So you know, I think those are two examples of how companies, if they think about what they do, what their special sauce is they can align themselves with a cause where they can elevate their brand. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, my name is Darren Sudman, and I'm happy to be here to talk about Unless, the company I started about a year ago to help businesses uh, launch corporate social responsibility campaigns and also touch on 
the nonprofit that my wife and I co-founded called Simon's Heart. All right, Darren. So thanks for joining me uh, on the podcast. Um, I told you it's been a long day for me. So I've had four today and we got some weather coming in tomorrow, um, as I'm sure you're in New Jersey, aren't you? I'm in the Philly suburbs. Oh, yeah. So it's cold by you, too. You guys got a storm coming in, right? Yeah, m- probably. Monday? Yeah. yeah, I think it's supposed to be minus seven tomorrow. So, yeah, up nice. here. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, we, you know, we're here to uh, bring you on the show to talk about social entrepreneurship, about what you're doing with Unless and with your wife, with with uh, Simon's, it's Simon's Fund. Si- it was Simon's Fund. It's been Simon's Heart for a few years. Simon's Heart. Okay. And, uh, t- you know, to t- share your story uh, with I was in the world, but with my listeners. Um, so maybe we can go back kind of, you know, where you grew up, your background, family history, and we'll get into, you know, how you started and why you're doing what you're doing, because that's an important part of the of the story. Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, great. So I uh, I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and uh, grew up there, went to college at Ohio State, where I okay. met my wife. She's from Philadelphia, and uh, that's how I got here. I actually... Uh, I started a group on LinkedIn uh, called the Displaced Spouses okay. uh, Club because yeah. uh, I noticed that people who are born in Philly never leave. Uh, so there's a big group of us who have uh, who've been brought here. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I uh, I went to school at Ohio State, went to law school at Capital University, practiced yeah. law for a handful of years. Didn't love it. Didn't kind feel of, like kind I was of law making- did you practice, Darren? I did a little bit of employment discrimination and okay. then a lot of bankruptcy and small business law. Okay. And uh, just didn't feel like I was making a difference that I wanted to make. So okay. I got the opportunity to work at America Online and uh, negotiate deals for them. Uh, that okay. was a really fun job, you know, being with a company that's blazing trails for the, through In the those internet. those days, right. Now, what is, uh, a- yeah. is AOL still, what are they doing now? They're owned by Time AOL Warner, is- right? But AOL uh, merged with Time Warner, then uh, they broke up, then AOL was bought by Verizon. Um, I don't know if Verizon still owns it, but it's essentially- I'm, I'm a like Verizon a customer. They manage our email. Okay. The email yeah. goes for AOL. But you, there's no AOL platform anymore, is there? Where you, no, no. Right, that's been right. gone for quite some time. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. But that's and, what know, they had then uh, when you were there, right? Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, it was fully thriving and- Right. You know, Everybody would get a nuts. disc in the mail, 100 hours free- 50 yep. hours free, right? America Online. Yeah. That's when it all totally. started. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, now our kids don't even know what that that brand is, which right. is amazing. No now you didn't practice shows... law for you weren't a lawyer for them though, were you? I was not. No, they had a oh. they had a group called Business Affairs. Okay. Uh, there were a lot of lawyers in that group, but we actually had the cool job because we got to negotiate the deals and then give it to the lawyers to to document. Right, which is always um, the crappy part. Totally. Totally <laughs> is. Um, but but at AOL, uh I got to see how a company can really impact society. They uh, they had a shop an e-commerce platform called ShopAt, okay. and they would work with uh, celebrities and athletes to auction off memorabilia on this platform and raise money for charity. Okay. And so up until that point, I never really knew the role that companies could play or, or did play in trying to make the world a better place. Right. So, well, a uh, lot of big companies have initiatives, right? They have- yes. Part, as part of their mission statement or whatever. Yes, they do. Right. So, uh, so I liked what I saw and, uh, and then stuck around in the business world for a little bit. I worked at Advanta Bank Corp uh, in their innovation group where we got to launch uh, engaging campaigns and cause marketing campaigns for uh, 
prospects of small businesses and uh, and also entrepreneur and small business cardholders. Uh, I uh, bought some property in Norristown, so uh, put together a little fund and, and bought some residential property in Norristown. Is that a and, suburb uh, of Philly? It is. It's uh, okay. just it's about twenty five minutes outside of downtown. Okay. It's the county seat for Montgomery County. Oh, got it. Okay. And um, and then you know, on a personal level, in two thousand five, uh, our second child, Simon, uh, did not wake up from a nap, and so that kind of occupied my time and redirected my life. Uh, Simon's heart is now seventeen years old. Uh, Simon would be seventeen, and we ran it on nights and weekends for about seven years, and then I uh, left my job and, and became a full time executive director, and I did that for eight years. And we uh, have had a really great impact on trying to educate families about sudden cardiac arrest in kids. It's it's not just an adult thing. Yeah. It uh, it's linked to SIDS deaths, and it's also linked to stories we hear about student athletes who collapse and die while playing sports. So it was just so, a freak thing. It wasn't a no well, explanation as to why he had. Yeah. So originally, when he passed arrest. away, uh, yeah. you know there was. Nothing that could be seen. So right. the prognosis was SIDS, um, so sudden infant death syndrome, which is yeah. which is really just a term that means we don't know why your baby died. Right. Uh, there are there are studies that continue to be done as to like why that happens, but fortunately for us, our pediatrician told us to get our hearts checked, and as a result of that, my wife was diagnosed with an electrical condition called long QT syndrome, okay. and uh, there's data out out of the Mayo Clinic research to show that um, somewhere between 10 to 15% of all SIDS deaths can be attributed to long QT syndrome. So, And that's with, something inherited? With, it's inherited? Yeah. It's, uh, it's mostly inherited, but it could also be acquired. There are uh, some drugs that can interact with each other and create your heart rhythm to be abnormal. Okay. And so with that information, we, we embraced it and said, you know what? The, Long QT is detectable and treatable. And in America or anywhere, quite frankly, babies and kids shouldn't die from detectable and treatable heart conditions. So we started providing free heart screenings for students in the greater Philadelphia area. Now, is that, that's the problem, right? There's no screening. Like there's no reason why they're going to test or check and they should. Correct. Yeah. But, you know, there's, you can certainly attack it uh, and prevent it by screening kids. Right. Uh, but there's a big group of people who think that that's too expensive and not accurate enough. Right. Uh, but then you can also uh, not necessarily prevent the event from happening, but prevent the death from occurring. And you do that by making sure people know how to do chest compressions and that there are automated external defibrillators around. Well, if you tested the parents, I don't know, maybe that's expensive too. And you knew that one of them had the syndrome, then it would be something to watch with the children, right? Yes. Absolutely. Or, you know, you could even just tests, test the mothers who uh, are getting exams the nine months of their pregnancy. Right. So is it a blood uh, so test? Is it a heart test? How did they? It's an EKG exam. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, it's stickers on your chest. Right. Which they're probably doing anyway, right? For different reasons. Yeah. 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 So uh, so we, we started doing the screenings. We got active in uh, advocacy. We've been able to get a law passed in 15 states with the help of some other organizations to make sure that coaches and parents and students know the warning signs. Yeah. Uh, if, a, if a student passes out during or after exercise, the protocol should not be sit down, have some Gatorade 
and let me know when you're rested because I'm going to put you back in. It should be, you know what? We don't know if this is because you're dehydrated or you have an underlying heart condition. So you should get checked out. Yeah. Is that what happens with a lot of these kids when they collapse on the court and they die? It turns out to be that type of syndrome or some heart related issue. Almost always it's a cardiac event. Right. And could have been avoided if they hadn't overexerted themselves. Yeah. I mean, and you know, most of, uh, most of the kids that collapse and die, uh, have had annual wellness checkups by their pediatrician and, uh, annual pre-participation sports physicals. So there are definitely places that we can inject heart screenings into the system so that we can do a better job of protecting our kids' hearts. Is that because the pediatrician isn't really trained to, you know, really evaluate those types of, they're just evaluating general health, right? I mean, they're not correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the plates of pediatricians could not be fuller, right? Uh, but, and but you can't hear mean, it. It's not something with a stethoscope. You're going to hear something in your heart. Would you No. Uh, not for that particular condition, but yeah. there are structural conditions where you can, if you're Murmurs a seasoned listener, like that, right. if you're a seasoned listener, you can pick up on that stuff. But to be honest, uh, the art of listening, uh, doesn't really exist like it used to back in the day. Right. Uh, so we just need to, you know, get together and, and get creative and figure out how we can change the workflow a little bit so we can do yeah. a better job of, of protecting our kids. So it sounds to me like you were a little bit involved with, um, let's call it cause related things on the corporate side before this happened to your son, right? Yes. So you were a little yes. familiar with what was going on in the business in the world. Yeah. I, I, I saw how companies can really have an impact. It, you know, there's, there's nothing against the company giving it, uh, a cause money, right? That right. helps. But what really helps is when the company finds a cause that it can align with because maybe all of its employers are, or all of its employees are trained in a certain skill that could benefit the charity. Right. Or there's a, a common backstory that exists that uh, that's fun to talk about and a reason that, that the two organizations should work together. You know, to give you two examples yeah. uh, that I that I worked on at Simon's Heart, one was with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, in hockey, there's a period called sudden death overtime. Right. And uh, and so we partnered with the Flyers for three seasons. And every time the Flyers would um, would go into sudden death overtime, we would donate an automated external defibrillator to a local school or youth facility. Nice. And so that's a great way to tap into a fan base that only understands sudden death in terms of hockey, hockey vernacular. Right. Sure. Uh, and bring awareness to to the number one cause of death of student athletes. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, a good idea. And then another example, which uh, we we're, we just launched for our second year, is right. a, a partnership with Scrub Daddy, uh-huh. where uh, in the February, guy on Shark Tank with the little we have one exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> so for the second year, they are manufacturing a heart shaped sponge for February nice. Heart Month, right? And uh, Simon's Heart will get the proceeds. So you know, I think those are two examples of how companies if they think about what they do, what their special sauce is, they can align themselves with a cause where they can elevate their brand. Yeah. Uh, and, and get that makes both favor. a corporate sense and social sense, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah Cause it, you know what? It always has to make sense for the corporate sense. I mean, it the, does because they have boards of directors or owners or whatever to report to. They're looking at the bottom line, but at the same token, you know, I always say that, Corporation doesn't exist without the people and the people live in society and society has needs and wants and problems and issues and diseases and, you know, challenges that 
a lot of it has to do with funding, you know? It, it does. And, and everything you just named impacts whether the, the leadership at the company wants to acknowledge it or not. You're going to have an employee with that disease. You're going to have an employee with that financial right. hardship. It's big enough um, population. So right? yeah, you, um, it, it really behooves the, the companies to, uh, to embrace the, uh, the, the differences and, and similarities of their employees and not just look at them as pawns. Uh, how do I get my product from the shelf to the store? Or, yeah. you know, how do we get our services out there more? There's got to be more of a connection. Right. Um, I, I like to talk about social entrepreneurship because I think that it, you know, it sheds a light on an industry. Like you don't think about that as a business, right? But a charity of itself, we're not talking about, you know, the partnership and everything is great. That's not really social entrepreneurship. What you're doing is really what, you know, whether you're, whether you're forming a foundation or you're running a charity like Unless, um, which we'll talk more about, you know, you're really, you have to run the business. I mean, it still has to be viable. It doesn't mean yeah. it's going to show profits because it's a non-for-profit, but you got to pay your employees. You got to, you got to provide, you know, pay for events and, and raise money and manage your money and give out, you know, whatever you're doing with your money or services or whatever. And I think a lot of people don't realize what goes into running some of these, especially big charities, but there's a lot of people that want to start you know, small charities, they want to go into business, yeah. but they don't want to make the profit. They want it to be, you know, for a just cause. And I think people should recognize it in the social, in that not social, in the entrepreneurship arena, there is this whole world of people that have social conscious and want to do things with a company that they want to form, typically 501c3 organizations, but it doesn't always have to be that, you know, formal. Um, if it works out and you build it to a certain level, yeah, then yeah, I guess you have to to do that, but there are ways to, to do other things. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and like we mentioned already, you know, it should be that the company is, is able to benefit from the relationship, uh, but the cause is too. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be as radical as, uh, okay, for every one item we sell, we're going to donate another one to charity. Like I right. think sometimes people get stuck on, on things like that, where oh, I got to completely change my business model, or I got to completely adopt all these principles. Um, that's not it. You know, the, the starting point should be remembering why your company started, and then finding a cause that authentically connects with your business, and and go from there. It's a yeah. it's a baby step. Yeah. Uh, but I I believe that once a company embraces that, they will see that employee morale goes up. Uh, customer attraction goes up. And like you pointed out, you're acknowledging the humanity in the workforce. Right. They're not just people who are going to come punch in nine to five, because then they're going to be uninspired and disengaged. Uh, so this is a way to bring a collective purpose to a company. Yeah, sure. Okay. So let's talk about Simon's Heart. You started that, uh, you said 17 years ago, you ran it for 12, if I remember from our... Uh, I ran it for eight years. Uh, so okay. I... Uh, in 2012, when we got our first law passed, uh, that's when the board asked me to come on full time, and I remained there through 2020. Okay. At which time we brought in a new executive director. Her name's Jen Parado, and I took a step back and started to think about what I could do next. And that's when I came up with the concept for Unless. Now, what made you step down from Simon's Heart? It was just kind of run its course, and you wanted to do other things, or it was getting a couple things bigger. Um, couple things. One is 
we created some really cool innovative assets uh, like a thing called a CPR jukebox where we go to music festivals and concerts and community fairs with a giant inflatable and we have red kickballs and a playlist of songs that are 100 beats per minute and we have kids come in and practice compressions on kickballs. And it's a really fun and novel thing to do because if you're not doing it that way, then you have a couple CPR dummies lying on the ground right. and that's creepy. And nobody yeah. who's going somewhere to have fun wants to deal with that. So, you know, we, we started creating these, these really cool things. And, uh, and I realized that the way to scale them would be to raise more money. And one of the things I hate doing the most is asking people for money. So I felt like tough business. If, uh, I felt like the organization could be better served by somebody who wakes up every day enjoying that aspect of the business instead of the, what I did, which was creating these these assets that could help educate and and protect kids. Uh, so that was kind of the business reason. The personal reason, though, was uh, it was all consuming. Um, you know, we all know workaholics, right. um, and they work hard because. They they love their business or the or the business model, uh, and I did for Simon's heart. But but it was also the time that I was spending with my lost child, and so I felt like it would be healthier for me personally to take a step back, stay on the board, um, still be very involved, but not have to live and breathe it twenty four hours a day. Got it. So you're still on the board, and you still got your finger on the pulse a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm uh, I'm still pretty active in the in the advocacy piece. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm obviously active in, in the, uh, cause marketing and, and social responsibility piece. Uh, but, uh, but all the other stuff, uh, Jen's doing a good job of running. Good. Okay. So, so then, so take me through the, you know, where unless came from, what were you looking at to do? It's a corporate partnership program, right? Yeah. So I, I just, you know, looked back at my career. I'm, I'm 51. So I've, I've had, uh, a few days of work. I got and, you uh, beat by five years. So oh, four congrats. years. I'm 55. So. <laughs> uh -huh. And and I I saw that you know I I have decades of experience in the corporate world and um, you know eight years or decades of experience at Simon's Heart, eight years running it full time. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting, maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment, or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets, and be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health, care for the planet, and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better for you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. 
Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. I, I know how the different systems operate. Um, I, I know the lingo that both systems use. Right. Uh, and I've always been, regardless of whether it was for-profit or non-profit, I've always been mission-driven. So I felt like I should be doing what I'm doing now, which is helping companies become better corporate citizens. Uh, and instead of just sprinkling money around your city or the world, uh, trying to be more intentional uh, yeah. and, and authentic with your giving so that it it does a lot for your company. It improves right. uh it improves morale, it improves culture, uh, and that your assets are leveraged to also help a cause so that people are inspired to come to work because there's a lot of data out there that shows that, that people uh, are disconnected from their jobs. Uh, and so this is a way to turn that around. And unless is, is not a charity itself, unless it's, no, it's, bringing a, it's, toge- a, uh, it's an agency, basically, right? It's an LLC. Okay. And um, it's bringing and, together the charity and the company. Yeah, we work we work with the, the company right. to help help them uh, kind of identify their purpose and then find a cause that aligns with it and then uh, propose a program and then execute the program. And if if the company is big enough that it has you know marketing assets and, and all the other little things that need to go into campaigns, we can certainly use those assets. Or if they don't, uh, we have a network of uh, freelancers that can help out with that. Got it. So so the the corporations usually the target the prospect yes where you go to them and say hey this is what we do and then hopefully they're really excited about it i think that's great and then you go first you do the research figure out okay what's a good fit for this company what's their mission what fits with their employee population what what drives them what's important to them and then you go out and approach the charity and bring them in i mean you have charitable partners now that you work with right so yeah yeah that's exactly how it works okay good well so, um, can you give me some uh, examples of some partnerships that have worked and what they've done? And I mean, it doesn't have to be specifically, you have to name the charity and the company, but just, you know, what types of companies are partners with, what types of charities? Sure. Yeah. I, I can give you, um, I can give you two examples. Uh, okay. So, I worked with a company called Rosati Ice. Okay. It's uh, over a hundred year old company in Philadelphia. They, um, their owner is a vet and uh, one of their supervisors is a vet. So we created a GoFundMe campaign to, uh, this was right when COVID broke and, and they were actually um, having some financial issues because most of their contracts are with schools. Got so it. the concept was we would, uh, we would leverage their connection with the veteran community and do a GoFundMe campaign where if people would donate um, $3 to the campaign uh, to help keep the workforce intact. Uh, Rich didn't lay off anybody. They would also donate uh, a cup of water ice to a veteran facility. 
So they were able to raise $30,000 and, and donate a whole bunch of water ice to veterans hospitals, veterans outposts, things like that. Okay. Um, you know, that, that's a short, that was a short-term program to try and keep them in business. That's typically not how I like to operate. Uh, I like it to be much more thoughtful. I like the campaigns to be uh, much more sustainable. So uh-huh. one, of, one of the campaigns I'm working on now with the National Lacrosse League is that they uh, are really leaning into the heritage of the game, which comes from the indigenous people. Uh, okay. you know, the game of lacrosse was was created over a thousand years ago by by Native Americans in in Canada and the United States, and so a lot of people don't know that. So I didn't know we that. Can, no. We can use that as a way to introduce the world to yet another contribution made by indigenous people, and then also use the platform of the National Lacrosse League to educate the public and the fans about the hardships that that community faces. Right. Uh, and, and there, there, there are quite a few. And, you know, I, I was shocked and enlightened when I started working with them because I did not realize one of the things that, that I learned in the past uh, couple of months is that there was a, a system in place in both Canada and the United States where indigenous children were taken away from their families, I know, I was just sent to boarding schools recently. and residential schools. I know. Um, and these kids, uh, their, their heads were shaved. Uh, they, they got uniforms. They were trying to deplete any culture from these kids. Right. And a lot of the kids ended up getting abused. And now they're starting to discover um, unmarked mass graves of these children. Yeah. So it's you know one of those things that I think – First, we need to acknowledge, uh, be truthful about it, and then we need to reconcile uh, yeah. what 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 we have been a part of. Not you and me, maybe right. not our parents or grandparents, but uh, as our nation, we have to uh, to acknowledge these kinds of things. And, yeah, and I'm, we have I'm really, treated as a white people, Native American Indians, terribly. This is their yeah, country, yeah. not ours. We're all immigrants. Maybe not all willingly, but we're all you know. Yep. And and there, there's been I've read about cases in the South where a, a white landowner could go to court, file a petition for guardianship, say that uh, uh, a, a Native American Indian, Native Americans uh, was not competent to own his own land, owned his own business, and, shouldn't, and they would just basically rubber stamp it, take his children away, take his land, give them to the other guy. I mean, just terrible things like that. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm really grateful to the, the, the National Lacrosse League for, uh, one, allowing me to be a part of this, but two, using their platform to to really confront something that isn't, you know, fun and uplifting, but needs attention. Right. Now, uh, now, when did you, f- did you start on less around the time you stepped down from, you stepped down in 2020? I did. I stepped down. Yeah. You know, things blur together because of COVID, but um, it was, I think it was, it was August, 2020. And then I started on less uh, about a year ago. So the world yeah. shut down and you went and started the new the world shut down. And I, uh, I started a company and, right. um, and I chose, chose the name unless because that is a uh, part of a quote from my favorite childhood book called the Lorax. Ah, I love the quote. Lorax. Love. Yeah, the there's, Lorax. So there's a quote yeah. at the end. It says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, right. Nothing is going to get better. It's not. And I've kind of always had that as my beacon. Um, and I just thought it would be, a great word and concept to incorporate into a company where I'm trying to bring together uh, companies and causes to improve the communities where the businesses operate. Yeah, no, that I think that's spectacular. I was going to ask you where the name came from, but I, I love the story of the Lorax. I love, I just always fascinated by it. 
when I was younger because of that reason. Because it's all about people just not even realizing what the heck they're doing. They're just taking right. advantage of the next thing, You're which selfish. is kind of what we do as a people. We're destroying the planet. What we've done in such a short period of time in terms of depleting where we live, yep. you know, it's a train wreck. And thousand years from now, we may not be here and our grandchildren might be here and great grandchildren. So, but somebody's going to have a problem. Yes. It's inevitable because it's human nature to use things and, you know, figure if I don't use it, that guy's going to use it. And it's unfortunate, but I guess we try and slow the process down with sustainability programs and, you know, educational programs and, you know, raising money and exposing the causes and things like that. But I, so let, let's go to the, so obviously you can't sustain an organization. I don't know how big on less is right now, but you can't really sustain an organization without revenue. So Right. When you do these projects, what's the what's the revenue model? How do you how does your company get paid in order to keep its organization going? I I work on a retainer. So and is unless a for profit company or is a non for profit? It's it's for profit. It's an it's LLC. Just an LLC. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I you know I, I work on a retainer. I I figure out with the the stakeholder what they need done. Uh, if it involves my time, if it involves uh, creative assets, uh, and then come up with the price, much like an agency would do or, or a lawyer would do. Okay. And the corporations paying those fees usually. Yes. Right. Because yes. they want to keep as much money in the charity and the cause as possible. Yes. Right. So are you working with some, are you working with national charities as well? Um, I, at the moment I am not, uh, I think that, uh, I think that businesses do better when they're, when they work with smaller charities because they can have more of an impact. And again, the business should be a little bit selfish. And Maybe it resonates the, more with the employees. Too, and the right? employee, right. And the employees should be engaged. Uh, and, and it's hard to do sometimes at a national level. Yeah. Right. And when you're, uh, one of my mom used to do something for, I guess the American cancer society, the American heart association, whatever. And she go to door to door and label things and they would send out mailings, whatever, but you, you know, it's, there's a lot of disconnect. Yes, national organizations like that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, the, the smaller charities also need the resources. You brought up the point that, right. that at the end of the day, whether it's for profit or nonprofit, it's a business, and it is. And and most of the time, charities are built out of tragedy. It's not like people were sitting around thinking of, oh, what kind of business model could we come up with to a, to attach to a cause? Right. Um, it's out of necessity. It's out of tragedy, yeah. and and they lack the business savvy and the resources to scale it. Right. And so I think that there are so many re untapped resources in the companies around the country that, uh, that could easily be leveraged for these nonprofits. Right. Well, in some cases they're going to do it. They're going to use it somehow. So you just want to cut through the noise and get to them, you know, before sooner than other people. So that they like Correct. your cause and follow what you're doing. Correct. So, um, what I just thought of a question I was going to ask you. Um, I, I don't remember the, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I find that um, when it comes to uh, what's the word, um, you, you know, I just thought of it. Just I don't want to say doing the right thing, but it just seems to me that a lot of people, maybe they don't, know what, how they can do, how they can get involved and what they can do. And if they can, if they should go to their company and, and talk to them about it. Right. So how have you found in terms of like, 
I used to use the word prospecting, right? Because, yeah. but I guess it is the right word, right? Looking for customers or people to, to work with you. How have you found the, that part of it? Like, you know, how do you get into a company? How do you motivate them? How do you, that kind of stuff. It's um, that's actually the most challenging part of my business. Okay. And, um, and it's because the answer to your question varies if it's a small, medium, or large size company. Right. Uh, you know, a, a small company is going to have a CEO and maybe some other senior people. Uh, but in most cases, you probably have to go to the CEO because most decisions are being made at that level. Right. Uh, in, a, in a mid-sized company, uh, maybe there's uh, an HR uh, VP and a marketing VP. They could uh, own this kind of thing. Maybe not. Uh, and then when you get to the really big companies, then not only do you have those roles, but you might also have a foundation. So unfortunately, there's not like right. a, yeah. a list that I could go get from a broker and say, these are the people I have to talk to. It's really... Uh, every time mining for who the right person might be and, and reaching him or her. Well, what makes you target a company in particular? I mean, you obviously there's businesses everywhere. Yeah. You could drive down the street and be like, oh, I think I'll call that one. I mean, you're obviously right. not going to do that. Or walk into a corporate office. Yeah, that's park. not very strategic and probably not right. very fruitful. Right. Yeah, you know, um, I've gotten a, a lot of great advice from uh, from other solopreneurs, small business owners, and that is, you know, first work your network. The people that know you the best, um, but then there are also a couple industries that I think are just so competitive, uh-huh. and and all they do is is tout uh, best price or widest selection, that that they got to find something else to make themselves competitive, and uh, you know, two to, just to give you an example, two of those industries are um, online gambling. Uh, you know, all they're doing right now is throwing con- throwing at consumers. Get fifty bucks bonus, right? Get, because you know, there's nothing else that attracts bets. them, right? A right, game's exactly. a game. You don't look at it that differently. But if, but if they were to get involved with the cause in a really authentic way, that could really elevate them from all the other people who are just, you know, competing on a race to the bottom. Uh, another sector that I think could really benefit is uh, are the small banks. You know, okay. local they, banks. They can't compete with the big banks with with uh, products, and and because of the internet today, you can find someone in the most remote part of this country, that if he or she has a smartphone, they can still bank with Chase or or Bank of America. Right. Uh, whereas before, the community banks thrived because that's the only bank that people could get to. Right. So again, they have to differentiate themselves, and they are they are good at sprinkling money in their community, but that isn't as impactful as them saying, you know, we were started because teachers couldn't get loans, um, and so now we're aligning with causes that benefit teachers. Right. Uh, that's a really compelling story to tell. And I think that those are the kinds of things that that we've been talking about. It improves morale at, in the workforce. And it's it, people a reason uh, to do business with you, right? I mean exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um well that that was the question I was going to ask you because I wanted to understand like, you know, where you know, where do you get started? What do you do? How do you do it? You know, how do you get it going? What are, I know what else I was going to ask you. What are the, um, your plans? I mean, this obviously the company's in its infancy, right? Yeah. doing this a couple of years. And what are your plans for the future in terms of, you know, where you see yourself going? You must have strategic plans. I'm sure you're pretty good at that. So, uh, you know, I am, um, I'm just feeling my way at this point because, uh, I could, I could go in house somewhere. Uh, I could, 
uh, merge with another type of agency, uh, maybe a marketing agency or an HR agency, because uh, while what I do doesn't fall squarely within their traditional offerings, um, it would attach very nicely. Uh, right. Or I could, um, you know, add a couple more people to to unless and and kind of let it grow that way. So I'm I'm still very much learning. I'm learning the right people to approach at the company. Uh, I'm learning what other uh, professionals uh, would engage in this kind of activity, and uh, and then I'll kind of figure out what the path forward is. So you don't have any vision, like if you could paint it exactly the way you want it to, what it would look like. I don't because Not I because you're still, still feeling still feeling. I it still out. don't know enough. Yeah. Um, about about the world of HR uh, right. and about the world of marketing, um, because I never worked uh, in HR and I never worked for a marketing agency. I kind of uh, self trained myself. Right. Through my experiences with Simon's Heart and some of the other uh, gigs that I've had. Very good. Um, okay. Is there anything else um, that you wanted to mention about unless um, advice for people if they're if you're starting uh, your own business as a social entrepreneur? Because I do get a lot of calls on that and people are like, I want to start this. I'm like, you sure? Yeah. You know, it. It. my advice would probably be to to just get started. Uh, and don't don't wait for things to be perfect. Wait for things to be good, right? And uh, and try it out. Try right. it out because you know I've already in the in the year I've been in business, I've kind of shifted my focus too, uh, a little bit because you learn as you talk to people. It's kind right. of you, you got to spend some time testing the marketplace to see what people want, what they're going to respond to. Right. Uh, and the other thing too is to to not get caught up in the the acronyms and the seeming complexities of corporate social responsibility and ESG and DE and I. And um, the, the best way that I've found it to illustrate this is uh, you went to law school too, bitch, right? I did. I'm a practicing attorney. Right. So I didn't get um, out. You, know, you got out. Right. So <laughs> one of the, one of the confusing things that they lay on us during the first year of law school is that uh, under the law, a corporation is a person. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of a really peculiar concept. Right. Um, but but that's the way it is in the law. So all I want companies to do is to start thinking of them as a person. Uh, so if you're gonna if you're gonna avail yourselves of the legal benefits of being a corporation, be a good person in society too. Right. No, that's a good and, message. And I think if if a company starts to imagine itself being a good person, right, then all these other things, acronyms and, and terms are just gonna fall into place because right. you're doing the right thing. Okay. So how can people learn about Unless, interact with you, see what you're doing with different charities, find out about all the activities that you're getting involved Yeah, no, um, come visit my website. Uh, it is unless.one, O-N-E. Okay. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Do you Are you on any of the social media platforms too? Um, I am personally on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. But there's not a Unless LinkedIn page. No, uh, there is, but there's not anything. There's there's no content on there right now. Okay. Well, unless www.unless.one, not .com. Yeah. Oh, and, right. O-N-E. Okay. Well, we will put that in the show notes. Um, I know it's uh, the afternoon and I won't hold it. I won't hold it against you that you're probably an Eagles fan and, and a Flyers fan, right? I'm a Giants uh, and a Rangers fan. So it's, I am, I am, uh, turn back. I am those fans because they've been good to my cause. Uh, I'm I'm not a big professional sports guy. My my allegiance goes to uh, Ohio State football and basketball. There you go. We're Big Ten. I got a kid at Indiana, and I got a kid at Maryland. 
So that's right. We talked about that. My daughter. Yeah, and I lived in Columbus right for two years. We lived off a of high street up in Clintonville. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great town. Columbus is a great town. So Darren, I thank you very much. And I thank Effie for introducing us and yes. um, please keep in touch. I want to see how unless grows and what you're doing these days. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on your podcast. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.